Good news and bad news, depending on where you sit. Summer's coming to an end. Nine days until school starts. Anybody? Am I the only one? Come on, parents, let me hear it. Amen. I'm telling you, nine days, but who's counting? Man, it may just be me, but man, this summer has just whew, flown by. Anybody else? So quick. Oh, slow time down just a little bit. Well, if you've been here or tuned in or anything with us this summer, you know that all summer we've been looking at various things in our culture, movies and podcasts, even games, to see if we can find God in plain sight, to see if we can find some theological truths about God and about ourselves through the things that we interact with every day. And I hope that you've seen that regardless of what we read or what we watch or even the games we play, we can be reminded of God's constant activity in the world, that God is constantly moving around us. We don't live in a flat world where nothing, God doesn't exist. He exists. He's moving. He's doing some amazing things if, if we are humble enough and if we are discerning enough to see it. And that's been the two words that have kind of flown through or threaded through this entire series is discernment and humility to make sure that we're there because God is inviting us to be a part of it. You believe that? He is. He's inviting you and me to be a part of what he's doing. But in this series, we've also discovered this wide range of needs that we have that we kind of go outside of God to see if we can find ways to satisfy those needs. And unfortunately, how we try to satisfy those needs often ends up being a very poor substitute for the way God desires to meet us and meet our needs through knowing him and through following Jesus, uh, not through some sterile, self-controlled or controlled science experiment. But God does this through relationship with us. And that's exciting. And so today we've got another fun topic. And I think it'll be fun because I think it's probably something I think half the room at least probably engages with or has engaged with at some level. And that's this another extremely popular phenomenon uh, shown by the number of shows that just continue to explode on our television screens. And that is reality TV audition talent shows. Who are my people that watch those? Anybody? Okay, so uh, just like the love shows we talked about a couple of weeks ago, there are so many shows that we could talk about today. Uh, but what's fascinating to me is that this is not a new phenomenon, that even before television, this was something that existed. Did you know this? So I did my research. So in 1934, on the CBS radio network, there was a show called The Major Bose's Amateur Hour. And it was the first of its kind where they would put talent on and then they would kind of help talent be discovered. And this ran from 1934 to 1952. It became a TV show in 1948 and ran until 1970, which amazed me when I heard that. I thought, wow, that's incredible. This is the show where kind of the winner was determined by the applause meter. You guys remember that? That's kind of fun, right? Um, so then after this, it kind of morphed a little bit in the 70s into the gong show. Now, you may have to tell your age a little bit. Who are my gong show watchers? There was a recreation of it, I think, in the 80s or 90s. Um, do you know what the difference between the amateur hour and the gong show were, was? The difference? A big, gong. a big gong is one of them, yes. No applause meter. Very astute there, Doug. Very astute. 
But the gong show, whereas the amateur hour was genuinely about discovering talent, the gong show was really more about contestant humiliation. I mean, that became the theme of it. It was like, who wants to get up here and embarrass themselves and will gong them off the stage and all this kind of stuff. And so that was where kind of these talent shows went. But then, okay, I'll tell my age here, in the 80s, Ed McMahon star search, anybody? There we go, three to four stars for everybody. Okay, I saw that hand, Joe Ballard, that's right. If you're in the 80s, you've watched this. And what's fascinating here is if you go back and you like Google star search, you'll see that like Britney Spears was on star search. Dave Chappelle was on star search. There are these huge names today that were on a talent show in the 80s, which is fascinating to me. But then really things changed drastically in the 2000s with what? Go ahead. American Idol. Who are my Idol fans? At least in the early days. Who watched it at the beginning? Anybody still watch it? I didn't think so. That's exactly right. You know, when you lose Simon and Paula and Randy Dog, it's just not the same. So uh, American Idol, though, kind of burst the dam of, uh, of reality talent competition shows because now you can go out and you can see X Factor or Sing Off or So You Think You Can Dance or America's Got Talent or Britain's Got Talent or The Voice. Or you can move to other talents like cooking competition shows like The Great British Bake Off or Top Chef or even Chopped. And you might have other talents like America's Next Top Model, Survivor, The Amazing Race. And who because we're sitting right here in the middle of the Iowa State Fair for the last 63 years, we've had Bill Riley's talent search. Isn't that amazing? You just got all this talent show stuff happening all around us. Now, here's my question for you. How many of you would say, I'd do that? I'd audition. Anybody? Nobody? Wow, look at you. None of you would audition. You know, I, I, I wouldn't either. But you know, in our, uh, in our classic service, we actually have a family whose daughter did audition. Her name is Rain Stern. She's the daughter of Beth Rhodes. And she was on The Voice a few years ago, and she actually made it through three rounds. And uh, she had three judges turn their chairs around. She won the battle round, but lost the knockout round. And her mother says that's because she was sick fighting the flu and things like that. So that would be why. Um, but I will tell you, I really don't watch The Voice that much. I don't really watch much of these anymore. I, I do like to catch the golden buzzer moments of America's Got Talent. Anybody else like those? They're always, man, those can be awesome, can't they? Man, those are the, if you're not careful, they'll get you teary up, you know? Um, and even if you've never auditioned or would never audition for a show like this, why do you think we watch these shows? Why do you think there's such a popularity to these shows? I was thinking about that. Why would we, I mean, there's obviously a popularity. They just can't seem to make enough of them. There's a new one right around the corner. I thought there's probably several reasons. Number one being we love to watch train wrecks, don't we? That's why we watch the love shows too. We can't turn away from a nice train wreck. So we love to see uh, somebody get up there and uh, humiliate themselves. Anybody remember, uh, what was his name? William Hung from American Idol's days, the, the she bangs, she bangs, and he got up there and he actually made a career out of being terrible. You know, but I, I remember the early days of Idol. What was it all about? It was all about Simon and how brutal he could be to somebody. I mean, and he, I don't know what's happened to him lately. He seems to have softened as he's gotten older on America's Got Talent. But, you know, anybody get up there and say, but my mom says I can sing. And he says, your mom is wrong and lying to you. 
You know, okay, sometimes we need a dose of truth like that. But we love the train wrecks. We love to see those things happen. I don't know why we're (laughs) depraved people. Uh, But we also love an underdog story, right? I love a good underdog story. I love when people overcome adversity. Like when you, years ago, like I remember this one is standing out. It just exploded on the internet and television. Britain's Got Talent. You had this woman named Susan Doyle, Boyle, excuse me, Susan Boyle. And she was this, you know, she's wearing a flowery dress. To be honest, she looked kind of like just a frumpy older woman from Scotland. And I don't, I don't, I mean, that's just what, and, and everybody had dismissed her when she walked on the stage. And then she begins to sing and she opens her mouth. And I mean, just the most beautiful sound comes out as she sang from Les Mis, I Dreamed a Dream. And she just blew everybody away. Or a few couple years ago on America's Got Talent, there was this kid with autism. His name was Cody Lee and he was blind. And he had to have his mom walk out on stage with him because she, she had to kind of guide him. And when it was time for him to sing and play, she guided him to the piano and he sat down. And this, this kid is unable to really communicate by talking. Um, if you ask him a question, he just kind of goes, yeah. And that's, there's not a lot of verbal communication. But for some reason, when he sits down at the piano and he begins to play, it just flows out of him in this beautiful, go look it up on YouTube. Cody Lee, America's Got Talent, golden buzzer moment. Fantastic. You'll, you should be in tears by that one. So we cheer for the underdog. We want to see that person succeed. But I do think there's one more reason. I think it's why people go on the shows and I think it's why we watch the shows. It's because it reveals within us this desire for significance. It reveals that there's something within us that says, I want to matter. And we watch these shows because we think if they can make it, they're a nobody. You know, there's this young girl from Chicota, Oklahoma, and she happens to go on American Idol years ago. And if she can make it, then we all can make it. Not really, because that was Carrie Underwood, you know. But we, we put our hopes and our dreams in that person. But why do we do that? Because we want to be significant. We want to feel that our life has meaning. And because we fall into a trap that, our, that if we don't do this, if we don't rise to the top, if we don't have impact, if we don't make it big, then we don't matter. We want, we need our lives to matter because we believe the lie that if we make it, we matter. We buy into that. If I make it, we, ma- we matter. If I'm well-known, if I have a million followers, if I'm an influencer, if I do this, then my life counts. Otherwise, I'm just taking up space and it doesn't matter. Now, let me qualify this. I don't think that means everybody that goes on this show is, you know, some raging narcissist or has this deep hole in their life. No, I think some people have genuine talent and look to be discovered. But I think it does highlight for us the hole that we have that each of us have in some way where we look and we say, I want to matter. I want my life to count. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have a generation of influencers and TikTokers. And if you missed our message on social media a few weeks ago, go back and listen to that because the damage that I think this is doing to society, especially with our kids, is tremendous. And we want to pay attention to that. But this idea of significance is ingrained within us from an early age. And it's reinforced through our entire lives. I mean, after all, who, makes, who, gets, who gets the notoriety? Who does, who does everybody know? And we find ourselves maybe striving for that. And on the flip side, it's like this. 
How often do you hear about the mom and pop who had a shop their entire life? They had a good shop. It made a, you know, it met a need in the community. They had their regular customers. They just had their one single shop. They ran it their entire lives. It provided their income. They were able to have a, a decent life and provide for their families. And when it came time to retirement, they just decided we're going to shut it down and move on. A lot of times we look at that and we go, well, what's wrong with you? Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you grow bigger, get a bigger building, expand, go somewhere else, do something else? Even just recently, you guys know we have this nice little fun uh, shack out here called Ashworth Snow. Fun little business. That's right, manager sitting right there. Got to go Keegan. She's been, she's been amazing this summer. Um, Ashworth Snow, recently somebody stopped in the church and they were talking to me about Ashworth Snow and they said, do you know what you need to do? You need to franchise that. Now some of you are sitting there like, oh gosh, Brent, no. We know you. You never back down from a challenge. You would No, I sat there and I thought to myself, why? Why? It funds itself, provides jobs for semi-reliable teenagers in the community. Can I get an amen, Keegan? Um, <laughs> we wanted to when we started this seven years ago, we're about to wrap up our seventh season. When we started this, our goal was a couple of things, to create a space in the community, in our neighborhood, where people could come and hang out and just gather. And, because Brent had a large family, to provide an affordable treat for large families so that you didn't have to take out a second mortgage just to have some shaved ice or ice cream. And you know what? We've met those objectives. We do that. Often throughout the summer, I drive by or I sit down in my office and I'm looking out the window and I see multiple picnic tables covered with people, families sitting down, engaging in conversation. Why would I need to make it bigger? You know why? Because we feel like that unless you do, it doesn't matter. Well, what good is just one shop when you can have four? That's ingrained within us. We believe that significance comes from always being up and to the right. Bigger has to be better, right? But I looked and I said, no, I don't think we'll franchise, primarily because I know what the headache one is and I couldn't imagine the headache of three. But we're meeting our objectives. We don't have to always think it has to be more. And so it led me to the question, why does, why does contentment seem to be so elusive to us when it comes to our significance? Why is it that when we want to matter, we should feel like we matter, and yet so often we feel like we don't? And finding that place of contentment is just always just a little bit out of reach. I can't quite get there. And I realize I've lost some of you because you're still dumbfounded by the fact that I didn't jump onto franchising that thing, but we're not, trust me. Not everything has to be has to go by the world's definition of success. But if I'm honest, I often feel that tug. I often feel that tug, those questions that just plague me. Have I done enough? Is our church big enough? Could Snow or the Learning Center be bigger? If they were, would I matter more? Have I made a difference? Have I, my life have, have an impact? Is my life counting? Am I significant? Am I the only one that ever struggles with some of these questions? No. Something amazing about those questions, isn't it? It's amazing how in seasons of contentment, in seasons when you feel good, those questions don't even seem like they're even near you, do they? But allow one little thing to hiccup in your life, 
And it's, a, man, those questions are just right there like they've been sitting in the back of your mind just ready to come forward to, to, to ask you or to condemn you or point out to you, yeah, your life really isn't what you think it is, is it? Wow. Sorry, I'm getting heavy today, aren't I? But this is the human condition. It really is. And I want you to know if you feel, if you struggle with some of these questions, if you feel this way, you're not alone. In fact, it is the human condition. It's been plaguing humanity from the moment God breathed breath into our lungs. If we take a trip back to Genesis chapter three and we look at what happened there, we really begin to understand where this, where this wells up from within us because here you find two people living in perfection and you have this tricky serpent that pops out from nowhere to challenge what God has says. Look at this, it's Genesis three, one through seven. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may not eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the fruit, uh, from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You can interpret that your life will now matter. You'll know good from evil. And when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it and the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. What was this lie? What was the lie in the garden? What is it? It's just this. God's holding out on you. God's holding out on you. You are insignificant now but you can be more. You can be more, and more is better. And ever since this moment, we've been trying to figure that out, how to be more. And what drives this feeling of inadequacy, this, what drives that in us? We, we find that when we feel that way, then we want to achieve. And we do things like bending ourselves into a pretzel to try to win the approval of others, to get people to like us, to look just right and act a certain way. We long for acceptance, approval, achievement, thinking that is where significance is found. But do you want to know the dirty little secret? It's not. It's not. Success, fame, popularity, money, all those things make big promises but leave you empty and wanting. Only then do you discover that you've been chewed up and spit out by the very system and the very people that thought that you thought would give you everything you desired. It's a new story coming out on Netflix or came out on Netflix this past week called Johnny Football about uh, Johnny Manziel, the football player. Look at this clip. Taking on Rolling Stones Beatles status. Manziel Madness has spawned the nickname Johnny Football. Johnny Football. Johnny Football. Johnny Football. I remember this guy comes up to me and he's like, hey, I've got 30 grand for you to sign autographs. And once that happened for the first time, it was like game on. When you take one step onto a slippery slope, it goes pretty quick. The money and the fame is eating him alive. You have to look back and think, were you ever going to be satisfied? Was enough ever enough? When I got everything that I wanted, I think I was the most empty that I've ever felt inside. Wow. I mean, he got everything he ever wanted. And what did he say? Still empty. Tom Brady said the same thing years ago after winning all these Super Bowls. 
He had everything. He lost it. And when he looked back, Johnny Menzel says, I was empty. How do we avoid that better yet? Why can't we receive the words of someone there who has arrived to see it's not really the place any of us want to be? You see, Jesus talked about this. And in talking to his disciples uh, about his impending death, Peter says, no, 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 Jesus, we won't let this happen. Never. We won't let it. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, get behind me, Satan. It's got to happen. And then he makes this statement. Jesus says to the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You see, I think we listen to that verse and we find ourselves willing to make the exchange. We're willing to exchange our soul. That's what Eve did and Adam did in the garden. I think that's what Menzel did. Willing to exchange our souls for the promise of significance. And what we have to acknowledge is what Jesus said here runs against everything we think and believe, and especially what the world and our culture tells us. Because the world tells us, put yourself out there, promote yourself, look out for number one. And Jesus says, the significance you so desire is going to be found on a different path. It's going to be found on the path of self-denial because the other path, that path where you eat the fruit, that path where you go down and you think you're going to find it, that is the path where you lose your soul. What you think you're going to get is not going to be what you find. And as much as it may go against the cultural current, Jesus is saying, let me show you where significance, let me show you where life is found. Now, When we watch these reality shows, thinking back to those, it reveals within us that need for significance, but it does something else too. It can do something else for us. It should remind us of the real source of our worth, the real source of our significance. No, it's not Simon Cowell. No, it comes from somewhere else. It should remind us that we don't have to look for the world's approval. If you look again in Genesis, we find from the beginning where that source is, where significance comes from. Genesis chapter 1, God says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. What do we see there? What do we find? An incredible truth. I'm not sure why, but this is the truth that seems to elude us when it comes to ourselves and especially when it comes to others. God has stamped within us his image. We are made in his image, in his likeness, setting us apart from the rest of his creation. And in doing so, he has endowed us with value and dignity and worth. I read somewhere this week, somebody said it this way. They said, if God is of great and inestimable worth, then human beings made in his image must be of immense value too. You see, some, one of Satan's most effective lies is believing, getting you to believe that your value is based somewhere else, on your behavior, on your achievement. But God says, no, your value is what I say it is. God says, I give you your value. I created you, and I get to say so. As a parent, 
Is there anything more frustrating than talking with your child, trying to show them how much you love them, how much value they have, how important they are when they've bought into the lives of their friends? When they look at you and they say, no, it's not true. You just say that because you're my dad. You just say that because you're my mom. How frustrating as a parent when you know, I know you, I created you, you were in me, you were a part of me, and I can tell you, I know how much value you have. And that's exactly what God is doing for us. He looks to us and he says, all, these, all this garbage over here that says this is where your value is found. No, look to me. Trust me. I know you. I created you. I gave you the value that you have. That's what God is trying to do. Yet, for some reason, we continue to look for other ways to find that value. And you know one of the terrible side effects of constantly looking for our significance outside of God? is in doing this, we feel like in order to build ourselves up, we have to push other people down. And I can't celebrate with you in your victories. I can't celebrate with you in the good things that happen in your life because those threaten me. They threaten my significance. They threaten my worth. So don't tell me you did anything good because it's not as good as me. Have you been around those people? I have. They're not fun to be around. But that's our struggle. That's our challenge. We can't celebrate with others their joys because we have to criticize and critique because we have to build ourselves up. But look at the Bible. And when we look at the Bible, we're able to see how people saw themselves. Now, they weren't perfect, but they obviously had an insight into something that I think we miss at times. For example, Jesus is on the scene, he's ministering, and John the Baptist, his cousin, he's been ministering six months longer at least before Jesus. And John's got his own followers, and he's baptizing folks, and things are going well. And one of John's disciples comes to him and says, hey, John, hey, ho, 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 ho. You know, there's this guy, Jesus. He's stealing some of your followers, man. Now, what would we do in our world today? Uh, we'd just have to go on a social media campaign to trash somebody, wouldn't we? We'd pull out all the stops to take them down. You know what John the Baptist said? John's response was, you know what? He must increase and I must decrease. Think about the power of that statement. The, the, the solidity that you have in your own significance to be able to look at somebody and say, yeah, great. You go, Jesus. He's going to increase. I'm going to decrease. That's great. Man, that is a secure person right there. That is a secure person that can do that. You know, another one, Paul, the apostle Paul. You got to love Paul because he'll tell you how great he was and then tell you why it wasn't that important. And that's exactly what he did. And, and he writes in, uh, I think it's Philippians. He writes this. He says, whatever were gains for me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness on my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. I mean, Paul is saying here, look, he'll tell you in multiple places, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I had it all going for me. My life was great. I was excelling in everything and all of it was garbage when com compared with the possibility of knowing Jesus. And how can, how can they make these statements? How can they say such things? Because they knew that the approval of man was insignificant 
because it doesn't matter as long as God looks at you and says, you know what, I made you, I love you, you are mine. And you can continue to go forward and see how is this played out because you can look even at the story of the Bible, the coming of Jesus on the scene, him laying down his life for you. Do you realize you were worth dying for? You were worth dying for. Before you ever did anything good, before you ever deserved it, before you ever did anything, God looked at you and said, you are valuable enough for me to save. And he did. How powerful is that? Sit in that moment for just a second. (laughs) You were worth dying for. Make you a little uncomfortable. Just make you feel peace, joy. It's an important thing. Your worth, your values, not determined by your net worth, your GPA, your good deeds, how many people you please. All the things the world uses to measure worth, to determine how valuable you are, are not the measures that God uses. As I said, you have been stamped with his image. And over and over, you're told that you're a child of God. You are significant right there. So the final thing I think these reality shows shows us is just simply this. When we move from the lie to the truth, you know what we find? Freedom. Anybody want some freedom? Anybody like the freedom thing? Yeah, me too. We're going to talk more about this in depth in a couple of weeks. But, you know, freedom is so significant. When you find yourself being bound up by a lie, that's exactly what you are. Bound, bondage, slavery. But when you finally break free from that lie that your significance is found outside of God and you go, oh, no, I am who God says I am. You can take a real good deep breath and relax. (laughs) You understand that you don't need an audience to vote you through to the next round. (laughs) You can be free, free to be who you are, free to be where you are, free to be who God created you to be. Isn't that amazing? And I can show you verses. I'm going to jump ahead here, but over and over where, you know, Jesus says you're free. John 8, Jesus does say, he says, to the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Knowing the truth of God's grace, his love, his mercy, all these things. And you know what some of this truth is? It's truth like Titus 3. But When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Isn't that powerful? That means something. Colossians 1 Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. About Romans 8, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you will live in fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Papa, Father, we are God's children. I think some of us need to breathe in those verses this morning. There's power there. And don't be mistaken, you've got a whole world out there just bombarding you with lies to try to tell you where your value is. 
but you don't need a million followers and you don't need a sold out stage show. God looks at you and says you matter. Your life matters. All your experiences matter. Your past, your present, your future. Garrett, go ahead and come forward. (laughs) One caveat, though. I do want to say this again. I don't want you to look at these shows and just assume that everybody that uh, is on these is some, you know, seeking all this stuff. But I would venture to say that a lot of people are looking for their 15 minutes of fame because they think if I can get there, it makes me more important than if I don't get it. We don't sit in a seat of judgment on those folks. We recognize that deficiency in ourselves. You know what we do? We pray for them. And if you watch these shows that are such a part of our culture, I want you to pause and think about when you see them, let it remind you who you are and where you look for your significance. There's a couple of questions I want to put on the screen just to close. These are from an old book from the 80s. Yep, they had books in the 80s called The Search for Significance. It's an amazing book. If this message has meant anything to you and you want to go deeper, I highly recommend it. Robert McGee is the author. He writes this. He says, when God considers you, does he deceive himself in some way or does he know who you truly are? It's a cool question. Question two hurts. (laughs) If you think of yourself differently than God thinks of you, who is mistaken? You or God? God.